0: Welcome to another episode of Vancouver Know Your Neighbor. I'm your host, Pranav Tempurnikar. Today, I have with me Seth Bunev. At the age of 17, he completely isolated himself from the technology for 4 years and that has helped him fill some gaps in how the internet impacts our brain. We talked about the importance of our mental awareness, how to observe our patterns of digital use, and in what ways can we take control over it. His current book, Screen Fairers, Nurturing Deliberate Action in a Digital World, gives, especially to the kids and youth, practical exercises to analyze the effects of internet on their lives. So just lay back and listen in as we dive into those topics.
1: I said. Thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. You are an outdoor educator and have studied the evolution of mental experience across history. What interested you to pursue that? Uh, so when I talk about uh, studying the
2: evolution of mental experience, One thing I realized is that could sound like studying how the mind itself even came into existence, which isn't so much. I'm interested in that too, but that's not so much what I've been uh, studying. It's more the ways that our experiences and our perceptions have changed and how profoundly different in different time periods, how, how profoundly different people's experience of the world has been. And that's something I became interested in in my teens, I think. I had kind of been drawn to different sort of historical ways of life and become interested in those earlier on. And then as I had been learning more, I was really fascinated by the idea of the oral traditions. And I had been reading about how these worked and how the sort of mental processes of, say, uh, a singer who can recite, you know, a three hour long story in verse and kind of compose it on the way. And like, how how can this even be possible? And how does this work? And that started to really just reveal to me how profoundly different the mind of someone in a a really different society historically or a different culture can be. So that was kind of a lot of the origins of my interest in that topic. And it's funny because it ties in a lot with why I became interested in not using, spending a lot of time away from digital technologies, because... I was realizing how being immersed in this digital world was changing my mind in ways that were very, very unusual in the sort of scope of human history. Um, And I was curious what it would be like to experience something more akin to what people would experience before this had happened. Both of those kind of were a bit
1: interwoven with each other. So that learning about the evolution that kind of made you think or want to be in that state where they were, when there was no technology, kind of does that, is that how?
2: Yeah. Just to be able to understand, you Mm -hmm. know, can I step outside of this mind that I have, that's been really shaped by these
1: uh, access to the internet, Mm -hmm. essentially. How important do you think it is that we are aware of our mental being? I think it's really important. At
2: this time specifically, because there are so many forces in the world, so many institutions and companies in the world that, for one thing, have very detailed knowledge of human psychology. And for another thing, are very, very intentionally trying to reshape human psychology for purposes that are not necessarily beneficial to people at all. It's very similar to the fast food industry where you have all of these companies figuring out, you know, what are the ingredients that will hook people on things? What are the ingredients that will keep them coming back? It doesn't matter if it's good for their health or um, good for the environment or it's in any way You know, beyond there being some restrictions on how unhealthy it can be, the the purpose is, you know, how do we sell more bags of chips? How do we sell more sugary candy? And so a very similar thing has happened with the digital world and these different websites and social media platforms and video games. They've very carefully taken everything they know. And, and they have better studies than than scientists and people who you know are in academia. They, those people can't afford to have 700,000 test subjects in their studies. Mm-hmm. Facebook can, though. And they don't have to, you know, they're not constrained by all the things academics are constrained by. They can kind of test way more different things. So, yeah, you have this situation where you have a drive to make profit through reshaping other people's minds. And that's kind of, we can't say that's necessarily completely new. I mean, there's been advertising for hundreds of years, Yes, but the degree that, the degree that it's become invasive in our lives, the degree that this medium has become the only way we can interact with other people in many cases, or, you know, the, the place where we are working, the place where we are being entertained, the place we're socializing, that makes it very different, I think, from anything that's happened before. So I think right now, it specifically is very important to kind of be aware of our own minds and how they're, how they work and how they're altered. Because if we're not aware of it, then we're just kind of going to be subject to to falling into these different traps laid for us. Yes. And, and what's and that sounds really negative. And so I should, I should clarify that there is no really clear cut thing where you can say, "Oh, this is bad. This is manipulative, mm-hmm. and this is good. This is just inter- this is just fun and entertainment." Because the things that I think a lot of the the more concerning aspects of this are really intimately connected with the aspects where you have access to amazing information or you have access to really fun things to do. You can't really separate those two issues from each other. So
1: I feel like if you know what you actually want apart from what this digital life has to offer you then you can elevate those things through these digital platforms once you know what you want then you can use it for the right purposes that can serve you instead of it taking control in some ways of you to like like taking you anywhere that it wants you to take rather than you deciding in which direction you want to use it I guess so exactly yeah. I think
2: that uh, if you are able to really have a clear sense of what your what your intention is, you can you can use these you, these things can be powerful tools, and you can kind of rein in some of those more negative yes. aspects.
1: It's important for an individual to feel that way and come out of it in on their own in, instead of someone forcing things on them. So, how would you say? or some of the ways in which youth or any of us can observe these patterns of digital use in being able to see for ourselves that it's taking away our time and like to understand its bad effects of overuse.
2: I think the key is just that is observing and what what I've tried to do with my book is is to really lay out some kind of structured activities that facilitate that and build habits of of paying attention to these things, whether it's observing your own sort of internal process of, you know, what are you doing all day? What are you spending time on? How is it affecting how you feel? Is it the amount of time you think you're spending? Or are you spending five more hours per day than you think? So there's, there's that element of, of kind of observing yourself. And then there's also the element of observing the things you're encountering, observing these interfaces and what is behind them. Um, And just learning to guess what is behind them, because no one has time to, you know, look up, try and rigorously study every little thing they encounter in life. But if you, if you know what the motivation is, if you understand, okay, know this website is very likely trying to keep me on it as long as possible in order to get me to look at more advertisements because that's what their entire profit is based off of. You can infer a lot of things about what the reasons for their choices in designing things are. and if you can recognize those things, you're not going to see some notification asking you to do an action uh, and just automatically do it necessarily. I mean, you might still do that if it's a habit that's really deeply embedded, which is it's hard to get out of. but if you understand what's going on, that thing doesn't just mean, oh, you have a new email, it might mean, okay, you know, this thing is trying to get you to, you know, go and take some other action for its own benefit. Do you want to do it? Maybe it's worth it. Maybe you do want to check that notification right now. But maybe you want to wait five minutes and practice not uh, immediately doing things when you're prompted to, or maybe you just completely want to ignore it. Or maybe you want to change your settings so that that never shows up in the first place and doesn't distract you. It's, and I think exactly like you were saying, it's important not to be prescriptive and say, you should do this. You shouldn't do this because what people want is different and what people, people are all in different situations. They may need to use these things for work. They may need to use them uh, to communicate with family members. There's all kinds of different situations, but having that awareness of what is underlying them and what's happening inside you in order to sort of decide what the trade-offs and pros and cons are, I
1: think is really crucial. Yeah, that's true. So on those lines, what kind of a digital detox, if any, would you suggest to either kids, youth, or even young adults at present? Well, yes.
2: One of the benefits of taking time away from digital technologies is that if, you, if you're using the internet, if you're using a phone, you have lots of habits of responding to all of these different prompts and using them in specific ways and going from one activity to another, maybe from your homework to procrastination or whatever it may be. If you want to change those habits and you take enough time away from those things, it is much, much easier to come back and create a different pattern and create a different habit. When I was beginning to use uh, digital technologies again after years away from them, I was very specific about what I was using them for. You know, I would say, okay, I am going to apply to a job and that I'm going to use email to do that. And I didn't then suddenly get derailed into some rabbit hole because I would just had one thing I was doing or I would type up uh, an essay I had written. And if you are very particular and you kind of establish these uh sort of mental barriers between the activities you really specifically want to do and the ones that are trying to clamor for your attention, then that can be really helpful. And that's one of the benefits of being able to spend time away from digital technology. So that what that would look like is would be different for different people because, I mean, I was a very extreme case. I had made a lot of sacrifices in what I could do in my life in order mm-hmm. to take that much time away. You know, it's you can't really have a job. You can't really, you know, if I if I wasn't frequently in places where I could interact with people in person, I mean, most a lot of when I was in high school, that wouldn't have been an option, for example. I mean, I would I had to get Facebook in order to have friends because that was how they communicated. So yeah, I, I don't have a specific recommendation, but that would be the benefits that I see. And I guess Mm -hmm. the other thing I would say is that another way of having more kind of control over uh, how you're shaped by digital technology and also being able to kind of distance some of the the habits that come with it from the rest of your life is having really particular times that you use it and particular times that you do not use it or places kind of either way. You know, you Mm -hmm. could say, I only will use my computer at this desk and that will help you kind of contain... The habits associated with it to that place, or you could say there are two hours every day that I will not use any phone or computer, and everything will be turned off. Depending on what, again, uh, your specific situation
1: is. Yeah, that's true. That's actually true. These these are some of the things that I practice because I wanted myself to not be so much uh, indulged with the social media just the internet as such. So. I can already see I like now that I'm talking to you, I want to apply more of that. I just want to completely probably stay away for like whole days except for a few hours in the morning because I'm away from my family. So I need to connect with them. So apart from that, I can I can totally see that because I for myself have seen that when I not now, but from a very long time said few times where, OK, I'm not going to look at my phone. This is not important for me. And I see then that there is no need for it because I feel not not for the sake of filling, but then I find something to do productive and when, which I actually want to do, rather than just being because it just takes my time away, is what I felt when I when I left that I didn't have the need for it. I didn't have the need to just go because I know I just put it completely away, not anywhere closer to my you know surrounding area. So that that restricts me even if I wanted to at times like oh I have to get up and go and get it. So no, so that's why purposefully I would throw it away like far away so that I. Don't, I I will not do that. And then that just kind of, yeah, pushes, pushes you down to like, not, you know, don't want to use it because you know what else you can do and you, then you figure out what are the other things that you could actually do, you know, about by staying away from that. So that was helpful for me. Yeah. I, I
2: agree. I mean, it's interesting. I had this similar experience that uh, for me, I really didn't want to be using those things when I had made that decision. And uh, it wasn't like I was kind of craving them at some points. And also, yeah, I think that thing of of having other things you want to do and knowing knowing what other options there are in life is so important. And one thing that's really tricky, especially I think for young people right now, is that part of the strategy of kind of really, and, and this isn't entirely ex- intentional necessarily, it's just what happens when we Have something new and we replace other things with it. Part of what's happening is so many important things in life are now happening through digital technologies. And for a lot of young people, social media, it's not, it's not like go, uh, go spend time with your friends, uh, and get off your computer. The computer is the way that they're spending time with their friends. And there might not even be an option to do that without the computer. And so, we have in some ways created some traps for ourselves with that. And it can be to the point where the the other things are, again, then tied back and associated with digital technologies, which is not necessarily a terrible thing in and of itself. But I think the degree that that's happened is not really ideal.
1: You have also studied how brain is impacted by social media and psychology behind the design of digital platform. Can you share some of the important or useful points from that?
2: Sure. And it really connects a lot with what we've been talking about already. Uh, One of the most important things I think is that everything you do is practice. So there's kind of this this funny thing I noticed when I was reading the studies on social media's impact and mostly it was honestly very disappointing because so many of them are just really narrowly focused on one thing that seemed irrelevant and like then would have no results or just they they seemed like they were missing the forest for the trees and the study designs were often like kind of poor but one thing that I think is crucial is that somehow we have this idea that the brain is not shaped by our experiences or like we keep being surprised over and over that it is. And they're in so many different domains. You know, we can see that the brain is shaped by our experiences. It just, it it makes sense. I mean, there's one of, one of the first really rigorous studies on this for uh, video games was showing how over six weeks playing, I think, World of Warcraft, the subjects of the test had a, the portion of their brain that, Helps with self control shrank significantly in six weeks. And that sound like there's something funny which happens where that sounds really bizarre. And you're like, what? Your brain, parts of your brain can shrink from just doing something. It's not like a physical impact. How could that happen? And yet, that's just, I mean, the parts of your brain that you use grow more, and parts you don't use, they decline. And that's just. I think we need to just understand that that's a principle that applies across all of these things. So, whatever you're, if you're practicing being distracted, you'll get better at being distracted. If you're practicing not being distracted, you'll get better at that. I think it's a really useful way of thinking about it because you don't need to have a peer-reviewed study to apply that to your life. You know, you can yeah. see, you can see it playing out as you are doing something, and it becomes more and more habitual. And you can kind of see it at many different scales. Practicing using computers makes you better at using computers. Practicing scrolling through cat videos, like very specifically, will kind of make you, you know, more and more drawn to doing that potentially. So I think that's one of the really core things. And then another really core thing is that are all all of these issues are embedded in a social environment. And my book and my work so far has really focused a lot on the things individuals can do to change their habits and to kind of create barriers to habits they don't want. But what I, what I'm kind of leaning towards focusing on next is this element of how groups of people can collectively decide they're going to change things. Because as an individual, if you are fighting what everything around everything that's happening around you in order to kind of keep yourself, you know, create the habits you want, but everyone Mm -hmm. around you is constantly undermining them and you're picking up habits from other people, which is hard to avoid, then, you know, you're just constantly struggling. But it is not necessarily so hard when a community of people come together and they say, okay, we see that there are some issues here. You know, these are the concerns we have about this. And we're going to collectively make some decisions together about when we're going to use Mm. technologies, when we're going to do this and that, how we're going to use them, what age kids should be using these Mm. things. Because right now, the fact that we don't have any kind of collective decision-making process is a huge source of the problems. I mean, any parent who's trying to rein these things in is dealing with all of the other parents who made a different decision. And they maybe don't even have an avenue to communicate about that. And not to mention schools who are making different decisions. And I've heard from, from speaking to people who are working on trying to bring kind of a more thoughtful approach to integrating technologies in schools, and whether it's beneficial or not, What I've I've heard is that there are a lot of a lot of parents are really overwhelmed with how schools are assigning homework online and stuff when they're trying to kind of moderate the screen time at home. And then that makes it more messy and would like schools to do something. And then lots of school administrators are like, oh, we might offend parents if we take any stand on this. And there's just not the communication to
1: realize they're basically on the same page already. And finally, your book, Screen Fairers, Nurturing Deliberate Action in a Digital World. Can you take us through the process of, of creating it? Sure. What can the audience kind of expect out of that book?
2: Yeah. I wanted to combine two elements. I wanted to really take in the big picture of why we are in this situation in the first place and the sort of philosophical implications, because this isn't just about being more productive. This isn't just about not getting distracted. It's about what we are doing with our lives, why we are here, why we want what we want to be doing with our lives. It's about our relationships to other people. It's about empathy. It's about so many big things. It's about democracy. I mean, what is democracy if you're giving people what they want, but what they want is decided by a big tech. That's not democracy anymore. So there's so many big things and I wanted to capture that. But at the same time, I didn't want this to be some like philosophical tome uh, or academic, you know, inaccessible thing. The whole purpose I want is to be very practical. So, I've kind of interwoven these kind of contextual and philosophical elements with exercises that I've tried to think out in a way that you could do them with pretty much any age. I've made them, I've tried to make them playful and and in ways that perhaps would be suited to younger kids, but you could easily remove those things if you wanted it for older kids. It's harder to put them back in, I think. So that's why I left it like that. And I've tried to make it in a way that any teacher who wanted to integrate these types of practices into any subject could take these and just regardless of how much time they do or do not have, add something to what they're doing, whether it's for one hour in the year or whether it's a weekly thing, you know, whatever actually fits in. So I've tried to make that as easy as possible. And on the on the other hand, also make it useful for parents who would like to kind of use these things in uh, for themselves, for their kids. So I've tried to combine practical and philosophical and also frameworks for understanding how these things are happening and what's going on that are that are Made to for the purpose of giving people helping people have more kind of self control in this process, rather than for the purpose of essentially taking away their self control, which is what the the there are these models of of thinking about designing interfaces that essentially in their they're just kind of mass scale effect. Their purpose is to encourage people to have less ability to do what they want. So I tried to kind of take those. And then say, okay, how can we adapt this for our purpose? What's missing that's crucial here? Uh,
1: so that's what you can find in my book. That's wonderful, actually. That is that is very interesting, and that is of a particular interest to me as well. To I have been able to do that on myself, but it is interesting to see how through the exercises that you said, and which is important, you're not just giving them ideas, but giving them practical exercises that they can do for themselves. Like not force, like just see for themselves how it works on them and how they can do it is very crucial and important. That is how that, because that gives their own ideas about things and how they can do it and how they see it. It's not someone else's ideas, but their own ideas, how they feel about it and how, uh, how it is having an impact on them and what do they want for themselves and like things like that. Those exercises, I think they're very important and I'm uh, I'm actually very excited to read the book. It's interesting. I think it's gonna be uh for people who want to Im- include this in their curriculum, especially for kids and for parents who who think alike or they want something like this for themselves or even for their kids. It's very it's it's a good way to begin. This integrates into their routine and that's important and that's a wonderful thing. Thank you.
2: Really hope it can be
1: helpful to people and that was really my my goal with writing it. Thank you so much, Seth, for joining me today. A lot of great ideas and a lot of great initiatives i am glad that we could connect and discuss all of this thank you so much
2: thank you for having me pranav it's been a great conversation
0: thank you for tuning in you may visit screenfarer.com to know more about seth bunev and his work and to also get a copy of his book